Hello and welcome to the Voice for Choice podcast. I am your host as always, Kevin Curran. We have a surprise in store for this edition as we dive into the overlaps of Russia and China as it relates to both the Ukraine crisis and broader engagement. That surprise, to spoil it rather quickly, is the fact that we have two guests today, both from the Map Influence Project, a project based in the V4 countries that maps Chinese and Russian influence as well as their confluence across this region and more broadly. So joining me today is Philip Shebok, a China analyst with the project, and Pavel Havlicek, who is a Russia analyst with the project. So Pavel, uh, without any further ado, I was hoping that we could go back to the Olympics because I want to get the Russia angle uh, in first if I can. Uh, and I'd like to get kind of an understanding of the rationale for the joint statement that was put out by the Kremlin at the sideline of the Olympics and uh, what was really the cause behind uh, the Kremlin seeking this closer engagement at that exact moment? I think uh, we need to look back to several years ago, actually, since when uh, Russia and China has started actually uh, looking for this kind of closer partnership to challenge the multilateral uh, world order now primarily uh, advocated by by the the West, the United States, and the European Union, and basically trying to in in an effort to establish their own uh, space for their own uh, interests and goals in the international arena. And uh, when uh, this actually started to, as a as a primary motif to for for the two uh, players to uh, seek for this uh, closer cooperation, then uh, we we have uh, gradually uh, gotten to the moment when we we have seen finally on the 4th of uh, february this this final uh, statement and uh, this as a uh, so, sort of emancipation of this uh, previous efforts that has been there for quite some time but to have this on on the paper uh, that both countries are uh, uh, sort of establishing the closest uh, possible ever possible relationship and actually challenging uh, their uh, the 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 enemies sort of of the other one meaning the the North Atlantic Treaty Organization from the side of 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 uh, Russia and vice versa, um, uh, this AUKUS uh, alliance uh, that bothers uh, China, this is something uh, unprecedented and this is a new emancipation of the previous efforts to establish uh, the Russian and a Chinese place in, in, the, in the world. And Philip, do you see it similarly in the sense of it was kind of brewing and is now emancipated, as Pavel put it? Sure. So, yeah, the the thing is that China and Russia have obviously been growing closer for some time now. Um, you could actually, or of course, it's not a, like a linear development, but you could even look at the 1990s, you know, where you already had China and Russia supporting each other on the goal of democratization of international relations, which actually means challenging the hegemony of United States, of course, and this is something that has remained like the biggest factor that that puts these two countries together. So they have mainly been motivated in their partnership by, you know, a negative uh, identification towards the West. Uh, but I think especially after the annexation of Crimea in 2014, has, there has been much more also positive content in the relationship. And, you know, usually people would discount uh, the partnership and say, no, it's just a marriage of convenience. But there's some real content in that. And I would also say that on, on the side of China, 
For Xi Jinping, I think uh, Putin is obviously one of his closest uh, partners, if not the closest partner on the international stage. Uh, they, you know, they have uh, regularly met. Um, they they appear to like each other. Although, of course, it's it's difficult to say because we don't really know much about the Chinese highest leadership. Uh, but uh, so there doesn't appear just uh, to be this geopolitical motivation, but perhaps also the uh, personal factor on on both sides. And of course. This specific uh, joint statement that uh, Pavel mentioned is really, really an epochal one, and I think like the, the motivation, if you're talking about the motivation of China to really uh, sign this statement, uh, I would say that um, of course uh, it, it, this was mainly in terms of the continuing. Uh, contest of China with the West, where China sees Russia as uh, its most important partner, you could say, and maybe China was counting on on two things basically, that uh, any kind of you know increased conflict between Russia and the West could help divert the attention of the United States and its Western allies from China in the Indo-Pacific, and second that China would basically profit from Russia getting further isolated uh, if its relations uh, with the West get uh, even worse. You bring up the Crimea issue, and that is something that we saw uh, in the past is kind of a, a China not necessarily being directly in support, but not necessarily being against either. But we have to remember that faded from the headlines much more quickly than the current crisis is. I wonder, Philip, if I could stay with you, what do you think Beijing is thinking about in the context of uh, the current conflict that uh, maybe it would have been over faster or do they benefit from it being drawn out in this way? That's, that's of course, a great question, Kevin. And I think that's actually very, uh, a very good idea to compare it with the case of Crimea. Uh, and I think that it, it may be the case that China was actually expecting uh, that, you know, there would be Crimea 2.0 uh, or something like that happening. So, uh, you know, essentially the Russian operation, you know, the special military operation, uh, as, as Russia calls it and China also kind of uses uh, this term in official media and so on. Uh, but China might have expected, and I think it's the case, that uh, the war or the, any kind of military uh, action by China, by Russia would be a quick one. You know, it's something that apparently also Kremlin expected, you know, that the Ukrainians would not be willing to fight to defend their country. And basically it would be over, you know, in a, in a, in a few days. And this obviously uh, didn't happen. And I, uh, so that's one uh, aspect where I think China miscalculated. Another one is uh, the response of the West which of course is the connected with uh, with the fact that Ukraine managed to defend itself. Uh, so the West could actually form some kind of response because at the very beginning it was actually not clear whether there would be a very strong response by the West, but we have seen quite a strong one, uh, really un unprecedented uh, response from the West. Uh, so I think also China did not expect that, you know, there would be this uh, united front of Western countries that would really there were very strong punishment uh, to Russia in uh, terms of economic sanctions. 
So there was no replay of the Crimea scenario. And I think uh, this, of course, is not something that China, I would say, wanted to see. As Chinese say, like, this is a situation we do not like to see. And I think it's true that China doesn't want to see it. But at the same time, it's quite clear. Uh, and, you know, it's been a month almost since the invasion that China is not willing to throw Russia under the bus, that uh, it still will not condemn Russia for for the invasion or for the conduct in the war and that it still, you know, uses any kind of opportunity to really direct uh, criticism at the West to say that, you know, the West is responsible uh, for the whole crisis uh, and it's even worsening it by, you know, delivering arms to Ukraine to, to be able to arms, uh, arm itself. So while it, it is a very difficult situation for China, I think uh, this, this doesn't mean that uh, China will just turn on Russia and change its position, like, you know, in a, in a dramatic turn. Yeah, but at the very least not an ideal position. And you know, Pavel, talking about not ideal positions, it certainly seems to be the case that Russia is in a less than ideal scenario uh, in its mind had it been planning uh, in February. But I am curious about the China overlap in terms of Russia becoming now basically uh, entirely reliant upon China because it's one of its few allies left in the world. Uh, and the word vassal gets thrown around now that Russia is essentially an economic vassal of China. What do you make of that assessment? And do you think that there's any downside to the sanctions response that it pushes Russia basically into a junior partner of China? Uh, or was that inevitable in itself as well? I definitely agree with, uh, with what uh, Philip mentioned earlier about this miscalculation on multiple fronts. This was uh, seen across the board uh, from, from Russian side vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the Ukrainian resistance, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the West and maybe also vis-a-vis -vis some of its allies in the world. Because when we had uh, a look at the General Assembly uh, of the United Nations uh, vote, when only f uh, four other countries, except for Russia, actually endorsed, uh, the, 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 well, stood up against uh, the, the proposal to, to condemn uh, the uh, Russian actions against Ukraine uh, versus 141 uh, members of the global, uh, global community. And uh, China was actually uh, taking a step back and staying silent on this, uh, not picking any of the sides. This was uh, really a cold shower for, for, uh, for the Russian leadership. And obviously, uh, this uh, is uh, closely linked to um, uh, the issue of uh, sanctions, as you mentioned, because really um, nobody expected at the beginning that uh, the West would be as as strong as um, as uh, as it is now. Uh, now, obviously, uh, there there are some uh, discussions how far to go uh, uh, in 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 punishing the Putin's regime if uh, in the fifth uh, sanction uh, uh, package, basically, uh, there will be a, co a complete ban on uh, Russian oil and gas, but. Um, at the very beginning, we were discussing even if, uh, for example, some of the Russian banks would be switched off, um, switched off uh, from, from the SWIFT uh, banking platform. Now this is a reality. Uh, it is also a reality that the European Commission actually fun uh, funds uh, Ukrainian uh, uh, military uh, equipment. This is something really unprecedented. 
And there are other un unprecedented steps also coming from individual EU member states, such as Germany or, or also the Scandinavian countries, which are for the first time actually supplying military weapons to sort of con conflict zones and are also uh, very prominently, uh, I would say, uh, supporting uh, Ukrainian position on multiple accounts. So this is really something that uh, is uh, striking for, for Russia and it's really uh, putting it in, in the corner. At the, and this is related uh, back to, to your question because yes, the sanctions are obviously having one effect that is uh, to undermine uh, the, the Russian ability to, uh, to conduct the war operations. Uh, it is also having a, a severe impact on the Russian citizens. That is also quite clear. But uh, I think this is really the only way and possible option from the Western side to to, to say clear no and not to avoid, as, as Philip mentioned earlier, yet another Crimea moment when we would have some kind of sanctions, but that would uh, 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 so that uh, they would not really reach uh, any any final uh, goal and uh, outcome in a change. The, the Kremlin's uh, position. So, so now we are in a fundamentally different position. Uh, Russia is uh, severely shaken by the Western sanctions uh, that are also um, sort of uh, uh, followed by, by other countries of the world, uh, including Japan, including uh, Australia, including other states of, of, of the world. So, so this is something that is really uh, putting Russia, Russia to a corner. And this is a corner dominated by China. And we know that, we have seen that for quite some time, that the Russian banks are turning to their um, Chinese counterparts for, for loans. They are seeking for financial aid and so on and so forth. And what became uh, even more visible during the last week was that there were uh, some very di direct uh, appeals from the Russian leadership towards, uh, towards China uh, and to seek help for, for on multiple accounts, including most likely also some military uh, weapons and, and technologies, which uh, um, Russia is now effectively cut off from the West. So here, I think we are, uh, we are obviously, uh, this is a very well positioned word, uh, Vazal state. Yes, uh, Russia is uh, slowly but surely becoming one economically for quite some time. And also in terms of international politics and, and uh, diplomatic uh, place in the world. Yes, Russia is a junior partner and will become even more so in the f uh, foreseeable future for the sake uh, of its own uh, steps. Uh, for what is what it is doing vis-à-vis um, -vis Ukraine and why uh, it, it um, for 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 the sake of uh, its own decision to to destroy the the Ukraine leadership and its armed forces and start the unprecedented war since 1945. Well, speaking of 1945, I, I did want to follow up with you about the German angle because it's been kind of the biggest pivot, I think. Uh, you know, we went in a matter of a couple of months from a German uh, Navy officer saying that Putin deserves respect to uh, basically the harshest condemnation to military buildup uh, of the German military that we've seen since, you know, World War II era. Uh, it feels a bit awkward to cheer that on in the Czech Republic, but uh, I'm uh, curious about how you see the German pivot as an important step in Europe and also whether that translates to authoritarian regimes before, uh, more generally, before I jump to Philip to uh, take the angle on China as well. I am seeing from the German side some fundamental changes. Uh, I think the speech of Olaf Scholz in uh, German parliament, Bundestag, was really something 
um, that was a sort of relief so for some uh, of Ukrainian supporters, but also uh, a really unprecedented step and a show of uh, courage and leadership, which he showed when uh, he really mentioned that that Germany will finally commit itself uh, fully to some of earlier promises when uh, all the uh, NATO countries uh, in 2014 uh, pronounced that they will increase their military spending up to 2%. Now Germany is uh, committed uh, finally to this goal as well. It is finally ready to also deliver arms to uh, to Ukraine despite some legal issues and some uh, despite the, the pacifist mentality that has been spread across the board in political uh, class in, in Germany and also in, in society. I think uh, the, the German Chancellor really made uh, this kind of step that is uh, uh, something something new. Uh, we are still uh, only assessing the consequences and uh, actually judging how far this might actually go because we are uh, seeing some profound changes in the German foreign policy. That is that is for sure. But still, there are many critics actually that are uh, uh, aimed uh, towards Berlin when when they say, "Look, uh, Germany is still uh, one of the countries that is hesitant to, for example, impose more severe sanctions." For for example, related to the uh, energy sector and uh, consumption of uh, of uh, Russian gas and oil, and this is something that uh, we we still keep on fighting. From uh, the Czech perspective, there are some fundamental clashes in how far to go, how far to punish actually the the Putin's leadership. So I think some of the question marks are still there, are are still on the table. Just to, just to pick up on what Pavel said very quickly. Is it fair to say that Germany might avoid a Nord Stream 2 sized error in relations with China or are the economic ties to China so much more important that it'll be difficult to avoid a similar uh, clash of political and economic ideals? I think this is a, a big question today and I think uh, even on Russia, we're still seeing that uh, there's still some reluctance, you know, to go really to the extreme. And, you know, still like uh, in terms of energy, for example, uh, there's really not that much willingness so far to to completely cut dependence on Russia, at least in the short term. So and this shows like, you know, even in extreme case of uh, Russian invasion, uh, the biggest military uh, action in, in Europe since World War Two, you know, there's still a lot of uh, interests uh, that factor in. So and in, in, in terms of, you know, the the troubled relationship with Russia and all the economic fallout of the sanctions, because of course the sanctions have an impact on the Russian economy, but they are also quite costly uh, for for European countries. So in terms of that, uh, at least in the short term, I think you know there won't be actually that much willingness to to also like. Uh, quickly run towards you know some kind of decoupling with China although I think this is uh, there has definitely been a realization that uh, in terms of relationship with authoritarian countries uh, with Russia or China there needs to be vigilance you know there there should not be uh, dangerous dependencies that can be you know misused and so on and so on uh, but I think that the current very, very tense situation with Russia and all the economic costs of that 
uh, will not mean that immediately you know all the European countries will reconsider also their their ties with China because uh, right now it would be it would be very difficult you know to to start like suddenly turning away uh, from China. Of course, like this discussion has been going for some some time that, that uh, you know some people nobody probably really supports like a complete decoupling of economies, but. Uh, I think this will be another powerful argument for those who say, you know, especially there were uh, in sensitive sectors and so on, we really should not be dependent uh, on on countries uh, which, you know, are our rivals, uh, have very different values and you know, are basically geopolitical uh, competitors. Uh, so this will definitely cover the discussion, but I think it might be too early to say uh, what will be the impact of the ongoing changes, you know, there's been probably more changes in European defense policy in uh, in the space of a few weeks than decades, you could say. Uh, but to really see, uh, you, you know, where it leads us, what will be the impact on Europe's relationship, for example, with the US as well, but also with China, uh, we will really uh, have to wait until the dust settles. Indeed, uh, and there seems to be still a lot of dust left to settle. But just as a final question for you, Philip, before I get to a wrap-up question for each of you uh, to close here, is what does this do for China's ambitions on Taiwan? Is this a good deterrence? Is the Western response going to put that off for some time, or what do you make of the situation as it stands? First, I could repeat my previous answer that it's, Theory to say, uh, but I would say if I if I would venture to really uh, give an answer to that, I think in the short term, uh, what China is seeing in Russia and the, with Russia's uh, performance, military performance in Ukraine, it truly means that uh, Chinese leaders will feel no rush to. Uh, to act militarily towards uh, Taiwan. But of course, there's many other factors. So uh, it doesn't mean that otherwise they would be, uh, you know, the, uh, there would be very short term uh, time frame for, for a Chinese action on Taiwan. Uh, so, and it's, it's important to say, maybe if we look at the specific military angle uh, that, uh, and, and I think that's something that China has in common with uh, with Russia. You know, Russia expected uh, the you know Ukrainian leadership, the Ukrainian people, to be you know demoralized, you know, to be willing to fight. And this is something that actually features in a lot of uh, Chinese uh, discussions, or at least the understanding of uh, of what the situation would be in Taiwan. So I think uh, if uh, if China uh, really will look at this situation. Uh, you know, and try to analyze it, uh, it will also uh, need to reassess some of its uh, assessments uh, about Taiwan. Uh, of course, there is, uh, there is also the issue of sanctions, you know, that, uh, that China might also face if it, if it were to uh, try to take Taiwan militarily. And uh, I think, you know, what's happening with Russia, that Russia has been in many sectors basically cut off from the Western technology. This is something that is still very scary for for, for the Chinese. 
uh, of course, it would be probably much more difficult to cut the ties with China. So be the, there would be much higher costs also for the Western countries. Uh, but still, uh, this this would mean that China will, you know, invest a lot of time uh, into thinking how it can really better prepare itself for any kind of scenario where it face uh, the same kind of uh, sanctions and of course uh, you know Russian military and uh, this is the case also in terms of the Sino-Russian partnership uh, has has been quite you know well tested in terms of its fighting experience you know Russia uh, has has been engaged in many wars uh, in the past decades and still uh, its its performance has been really abysmal you could uh, you could say and china has not really had any kind of uh, war experience since since the end of uh, you know 1970s so when the chinese you know military leaders see that i think uh, they uh, really might be afraid of what an actual chinese uh, you know war scenario would look like in terms of you know logistical um capabilities and so on and so on so uh, just just to sum it up i think in the short term the risk of war in taiwan Strait has decreased uh, but in the long term it might actually help china to prepare better for the invasion to prepare better for the western reaction indeed uh, certainly the taiwanese will hope so uh, or at least hope that the performance is equally abysmal, as you say, uh, should that ever come to pass. Uh, well, just a closing to you. I'm curious if uh, if you think that there's any chance that Russia could back away from its uh, designs on the entirety of Ukraine, given its current performance, uh, and if, hypothetically, uh, China would be an adequate moderator, as uh, many Chinese diplomats have uh, asked and lobbied for uh, kind of a peace mediation, whether that's in good faith or not is up to you, but uh, would that be something that you could foresee or is it already too far gone at this point? I think it, this is still very much a relevant question because obviously Russia and Putin in particular will need uh, some kind of face-saving exercise uh, because obviously uh, the, the leadership in Kremlin is already backing from the original goals when they spoke about the so-called denazification or the um, militarization of of uh, of, of uh, Ukraine, some of the most uh, ambitious goals, especially going against the Ukrainian leadership, when uh, they at the beginning most likely aimed at uh, capturing uh, uh, Ukrainians, uh, Ukraine's uh, uh, president Volodymyr Zelensky and basically committing a coup against him and uh, installing a puppet government. This is very far away uh, by now. Uh, everybody realizes that Russia has enormous problems to even capture bigger parts of Ukrainian uh, very big uh, territory. Um, it has uh, enormous uh, problems to, 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 to continue uh, with the military operation, uh, um, especially in the north and south of the country. Some progress is now being made in, in the east, but uh, it is not uh, a prominent one. And we are uh, probably today, it's the 26th day of the operation and uh, nobody really sees a, a decent way out. So from this angle, if we have a look at this as a, as a sort of a failed operation from a military point of view, at least, 
then uh, we 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 will understand that um, a Russian leadership in Kremlin will be looking for a way out. And uh, the, the Chinese mediation might be one of the ways that uh, they would actually like uh, to, 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 to make use. Because obviously uh, uh, the, the Chinese are uh, in, in, in good position to, uh, to, to offer this, uh, this kind of um, mediation, being uh, the first number one uh, uh, trade partner for, for Ukraine, a country that has uh, an enormous inv investment in, in Ukraine, and also being a very uh, close uh, friend and ally of, of, of Russia. So here, obviously, uh, playing on this neutral, so-called so, so neutral front uh, piece, uh, uh, sort of advocating front might be uh, a position for, for China to be uh, well suited in and also convenient for Russia. On the other hand, I would say that for many Westerners, including in uh, some of the more sort of um, uh, active EU member states, such as uh, the Baltic countries or also our own uh, Czech Republic, for example, the, the, Russia, uh, the, the Chinese mediation would be something really not desired and... Uh, the West would be pushing against this because, uh, especially when it comes to some some kind of bigger engagement of China in uh, the region of Eastern Europe, that is something uh, hard to imagine that uh, uh, the Westerners would um, would accept ever. So here, uh, I think there are quite quite uh, clear uh, barriers for this, uh, and I think uh, still it is the case that other countries such as Turkey. Or, for example, even Israel is a better position, at least from the Western point of view, to mediate and to be this active uh, 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 force, third uh, force in between uh, uh, Kiev and, and Moscow. But uh, really, as, as the operation uh, will progress at some point, um, and one of the sides will uh, lose ground necessarily, it might be at this point, uh, well, Russia as much as uh, as. Uh, as as Ukraine uh, at that point, uh, the other uh, the other um, uh, force, the other party, will necessarily need to accept uh, uh, so some kind of some kind of mediation that maybe would not be the number one uh, either for Ukraine or Russia. In that situation, Russia, uh, pardon me, uh, China would uh, could be uh, very much coming back to back to the game and playing a prominent role, especially if, for example, Ukraine is to lose ground at some point. And this is really an open question. At the same time, I think there is uh, yet another open question, how much uh, China is going to invest in this in this crisis and how much um, they are actually uh, going to, 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 um, to offer the, 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 the shoulder uh, actually to... Uh, to the Kremlin uh, leadership, because really it, there are good risks, as Philip described, uh, be that the collateral damage of the Western sanctions, be that an open conflict with uh, the, the Western, uh, Western community in the European Union or the United States, for which uh, and I here completely agree with Philip that uh, the Chi Chinese leadership is not uh, so well prepared yet, uh, especially when it comes to the period before the crucial party congress in November. So the risks are high, high here for, for, for China, for the Chinese leadership. Uh, but I would say that uh, we will only see a little bit later uh, when we see the, the, uh, the, the Russian war against uh, Ukraine uh, to progress a little bit further. And we will 
see some kind of way out because now uh, the Russian leadership is not ready to to commit itself to the peace talks to 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 even ceasefire or uh, humanitarian corridors. These are all uh, huge issues uh, which only a pressure uh, from outside, maybe also from China uh, at some point or inside if the military operation uh, actually fails completely then uh, then this kind of motivation would uh, come back for for the kremlin so uh, this is uh, still as philip mentioned there are many un- uncertainties still many question marks around and um, uh, the role of uh, china ultimately at the end of this story is still uh, among them as well probably you bring up so many open questions there and i think uh, that's one that i'll pivot to Philip with is you know, how has China maintained this sort of ambivalent stance that we can't even really uh, necessarily divine what exactly their stance is, uh, concretely at least. Uh, from an informational standpoint, how is Beijing able to maintain this sort of ambiguous position? China has a lot of experience with that. It has how it opposes any kind of sanctions, military sanctions at the same time. It's, uh, it has obviously sanctioned uh, Lithuania, Australia. Uh, there have been sanctions about the U.S. Uh, arms companies. So this is just an example uh, of uh, how China can profess to, you know, uh, to be against something and do it at the same time. So I don't think that's that's going to be such a problem uh, for China also uh, going forward. And the same logic applies to the territorial integrity as well, correct? Of course, yes. So, you know, uh, territorial integrity uh, is, of course, a sacred principle for China. But, you know, there's also but, and China is talking about the complex historical factors that have uh, led to this uh, war and, uh, you know, that it's actually NATO and uh, the U.S. that are responsible and so on and so on. So China has been consistent in being inconsistent, basically. Well, I guess uh, that's to be expected then. But uh, I would say that it was a consistently uh, illuminating conversation with both of you for this uh, double podcast that we hosted. Uh, And I want to thank you both very much. So thank you uh, to you first, Philip, and uh, also to you, Pavel, uh, for joining me for this special edition that is uh, obviously an important issue to discuss at the moment. Thank you. Thank you very much. For more on this pivotal region's engagement with China, please do visit the Choice website at chinaobservers.eu. Also, consider subscribing to our newsletter, where all of the prescient posts on the Choice platform are distilled down and sent directly to your inbox every month. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, on Twitter at China Observers, and on Facebook at China Observers and Central and Eastern Europe. And as always, remember to make the right choice Join us for our next Voice for Choice podcast.